0: Hey, my name is Matthew, by the way, I'm the campus pastor here in Urbana, and again, excited to continue this walk through the book of James. How's the book of James sitting with you? First good, first few services, awesome. Well, I'm I'm glad Uh, we get to continue that today. Last week, Michael was here, and he talked about fully commit to God to generously receive wisdom. And it isn't so much that I'm fully committing to God so that I can manipulate him. It's that I get to. Like, I get to commit to God. I get to have a relationship with God. It isn't that I'm out there just slaving away and being whipped and beaten to try to pursue God, it's like I I get to have a relationship with God. I get to. I get to follow him. I get to. It's a change of mindset when it comes to who God is. and Undoubtedly, we've been impacted by perhaps how we were raised, maybe a more strict view of God where he was always ready to get us um, if we made a mistake. But there's an invitation by God. To draw near to him and he will draw near to us as we'll learn later on in the book of James. But today I kind of want to ask the question like, have you ever had something happen to you where you're like so distracted by all the things that you kind of miss the point? Uh, I remember my nephew, I think it was my nephew Ryan, I'm not 100% sure, but um, I remember my nephew Ryan. And this is kind of the classic, uh, you know, little babies thing, right? Christmas comes, and they've been waiting for Christmas forever. I mean, it feels like Christmas in this room right now, but it's not, right? And so a little baby, a little child is like, oh, Christmas is coming. And we put this evergreen tree up in our living room. That's not weird. but uh, And then there's all these packages underneath it. All the red wrapping paper and the sparkly stuff. And I just can't wait to tear into it. And the child tears into this gift. And they're like, I just love the paper. This is awesome. And so I remember, I think it was my nephew's second Christmas. I remember us, you know, and this isn't a novel idea. I know other people have done this. But we we ended up like gathering up. There's a lot in my family. So when all the Christmas presents are open, there's just this pile across the floor of all this paper and all these things, and so we're like, well, he doesn't seem to like the gifts, but he loves the paper, and so my sisters ran to the back room gathering up all the paper, and they papered paper, and he opened it up, and his mind, (laughs) blown. I get all this paper, and I get to crawl through all this paper, but it was interesting, as he did that, he he negated the cool gift that he got. And I can't remember what the gift was, a car or a truck or something, right? But, but he was so fascinated by the crinkly paper that he, that he actually, like, missed the gift. He's like, you keep that box, that hard cardboard box. I got this paper. And the paper is awesome. And so he just diverts from that. But then also it's like walking up to a child and saying, like, hey, remember, remember to go thank grandma and grandpa? And they're like, psh, Why? I got paper. I mean, what else do I need, right? And, and in the distraction of, of that moment, something so temporary is holding them. Now, we grew up on a farm, so we would gather all the paper, and we head to the dump. I don't know if that's legal anymore, but that's how we did it. Don't arrest me, okay? And we would go, and you would light it on fire, and this paper that had once basically filled the room vaporized. In a matter of moments. And, and they're just, Ryan's just fixated on the paper. And he's missing both the gift and he's missing the giver. And I wonder how many times we still do that to this day. That's just over a, a temporary thing, like a little gift at a certain time in our life. But, but does that carry on in our life? Does it carry on with, with our gifts now and, and our giver now? Uh, especially when it comes to God. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of James. And I want to read a couple verses with you uh, to get us started. We're in the book of James. If you don't have a Bible, it will be up on the screens. But would love for you to to have a Bible, get familiar with the Word of God if you have it. Uh, We are in James chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 9 through 11. And I want us to ask ourselves, in your way, because you have your story, am I distracted by the paper? Am I distracted by the paper, the temporary trappings of Wrapping paper, in a sense, in my life, in my spirituality. So let's go to James chapter 1, verse 9. It says this, "...let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, and withers the grass. Its flower falls, and its beauty perishes." So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. A positive text. (laughs) But we're going to dive in here and see, like, the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us something. He's trying to tell us something, first, I believe, about who God is, and secondarily, about who we are. And we ought to ask, like, God, like, what are you trying to teach me here in this book of James? Like, why do we have These things in this verse. And I think before we kind of get into verse 9, I want us to go back a little bit to verse 7. And Michael covered this well last week. And he's talking about wisdom. Okay, so let's go back to James chapter 1 and let's start in verse 7 here. And kind of catch up to verse 9. There's a context here. It's important to read the context of why he's saying what he's saying in verse 9. So verse 7 says, For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And there's this picture that, you know, we we might not receive anything from the Lord, okay? We're talking about trials, and we're talking about receiving wisdom to walk through the trials. And he says at this point, and I think the first context here of anything, like you cannot perceive that you're going to receive anything from the Lord. But there's this tension, like, Yes, God may or may not give you wisdom to endure the trial. God's going to walk alongside you in the trial. But anything can mean anything. So what is it that you have? What is it that you've been given? Or haven't been given? Because I think a lot of us separate, like, sure, we're in church, right? So we talk about Jesus and salvation. And that is a gift from God, certainly. That is a huge gift from God. Let's not undersell that. But there's this reality that everything else that we have or don't have, God is also heavily active in that giving or not giving of those gifts. It isn't that I have such a high IQ or such a brain that I just dominated my tests, I dominated college, I dominated the master, and I achieved this. Because at the root of being smart isn't the fact that I made myself smart. It is it's a gift. That the root of being a person that's gifted in self-restraint, which I am not, um, is the fact that God has given something to you. Your ability to have a perfect budget and consistently do it, or a perfect diet, that is a gift from God. And for the rest of us, it's kind of a thorn in our side, a battle that we have to endure. And I think for us, the, where I want to start here is this realization of like, Unless God does, I can't do anything. I have nothing. I am nothing. And that that isn't to beat us up, because I I hate when we go down that path and we just beat us up. It's a reminder to us of what God has done. It's a reminder to us that I had nothing to offer him. In Deuteronomy 7, I don't have this one for the screens... God is talking about how he chose Israel. And he didn't choose the people of Israel because they were awesome. Like, I didn't look over history and be like, those people of Israel, they're flipping amazing. Look at what they're doing. Look at some of their kings. I'm going to invest in them. He said, no, you were tiny, you were small, and I'm going to work through them. Nobody's going to get glory out of this except me. And there's this picture of us like we come, we exist today because it is a gift From God, it is a gift from God that this day is it September thirtieth or no, it's October first. That's it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift from God that we have today, and so we come into this text right. It's not God and stuff. That that's what makes us double minded. If I'm like God, if I lose my house, I'm done with you, God. If I lose my business. You, we're through. If I lose my spouse, I am over you. That'd be a double mindedness. I cannot have God and money. I cannot have God and my house. I cannot have God and my reputation. I cannot have God and my career. I have God, and everything else falls behind it in an order. And the reality of that statement is that if I have God, I have enough. I have enough. I can be totally satisfied living under the interstate bridge, wherever it is, with a tarp. I don't even need a tarp. But if God is engaging me, if God is working in me, I I have enough. I probably have a very strong prayer life to ask, where is my breakfast coming from and my lunch coming from? But I have enough, right? And to say I need God and I need something else. God, I need you and I need my family. It's double-minded. And he's just spent the verses warning us. So then we get into verse 9 and it says this. It says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. So I want to walk through some of these terms that are here. They seem pretty simple. But lowly, when you think of somebody who's lowly, you think of somebody who's humble and quiet. Okay? Somebody who's humble and quiet. But in this text, to the first people, it would be written to people in poverty, right? James is writing to the dispersion. And the dispersion are people. Like, think about them as men and women who probably have a whole lot in common with you, though they lived a couple thousand years ago. They have the same concerns for their kids. Like, what are my kids going to do? How are we going to eat? How's this job working out for us? Are we doing okay? Like, is this balancing itself out? Like, are we taken care of? Like, they probably have the exact same concerns and are processing it without an iPhone. Could it, can it be done? It, it was done for hundreds of years. And they're processing it without the internet, you know, or without a car to go and check out another job. But they're processing it much like us. And, and they have been dispersed, right? Babylon took over Israel Babylon was known for hauling their enemies away. Like, we'll make them unsettled. We'll make them uncomfortable. We're going to haul them to Babylon. We're going to scatter them. We're going to disperse them, basically over our whole entire kingdom, which was effectively the world. And so James is writing to, rem- to remind them. And the realities of the dispersion is some people were very successful, while others were super poor. Super poor. And so this term lowly is to be low. Okay, they, they weren't all successful. And the first part of our text is to the lowly. So they're humble, they're quiet, financially low, small. And, and James is telling them to boast. And we were like, I, are we supposed to boast? Like, I thought I wasn't allowed to be like, look at the home run I hit. You guys should cheer for this guy. But you see, boasting here is, is different in the text, You know, I think of the armies. You know, when you had King David, if you go back to Samuel, or he wasn't king yet, uh, they were taking on the Philistines. You guys remember that story? There's a guy named Goliath. Anyone remember that? It, historically, the armies would gather on hills. Hills are a very big deal in the scriptures. And the one army, the Philistines, stood on the hill, and they're like, We're awesome! And we have this giant. His name is Goliath, and he'll dominate your giant. And so what they would do is the two armies would stand on a hill, and they're like, Well, we got great swords. They're made of steel and they're super sharp. Now, the Israelites didn't do that. They buckled under the Philistines, saying, We've got a giant. His name is Goliath. He'll dominate your best. Bring your best. And they would boast, boast in their giant. They'd boast in their chariots. They'd boast in their swords. And the opposing army would come to the hill and they'd be like, You got that? We got this. And this is better. This is better. This is why we're going to dominate you. And they would go and they would raise up their best. And what was sad about the situation with David and Goliath is that as David is coming to his brothers, he hears the Philistines boast and he sees the Israelites whimper. What do we have? And David is like, we have the most high God. Let's go get him. And the Israelites hid in their tent like, oh, Goliath. Goliath. He's so big and scary. And David's boast as he comes down the hill to the giant wasn't in his slingshot. It wasn't in the stones. It wasn't in his history. His boast was in God Almighty. And so let the lowly boast in their exaltation. Exaltation? Like, aren't we supposed to boast in the Lord? Well, yes. But the term exaltation means to be tall. Tall. To be high up. And you're like, I'm poor, I'm broke. I've got nothing. So much so, I just keep my mouth shut. And the calling is to boast in your exaltation. So if you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the scriptures say this. Paul is writing, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. All of those we could preach a message on. So that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. There's this picture of somebody who financially might be struggling or lower. And I'm not demeaning. I'm not, I'm not being demeaning here, okay? I'm saying some people have $10,000 in their account, and the other person has $100,000 in their account. It's not demeaning to have 10. It's just a statement of fact. You're lower in that regard than perhaps another person is. But there's this reality for us as Christians that we have so much to hope in, so much to exult in, so much to boast about. It's not that I'm coming to the table with my Lord in trial and saying, Look at my money, look at my accounts. It's like, Look at my Savior who looked upon me, who has nothing, and saved me. That's what I think you can, you get out of this text, right? You can go back and talk about the wisdom. You can talk about the trials producing steadfastness in you. You look at it differently when the fact of your financial situation or your lowliness is probably put there. Not probably. It is put there. You, You are exactly where God wants you. You are exactly where God wants you. Some of you could do a budget, and that might help you. Some of you could start a savings account, and that might help you. But God has you exactly where he wants you. Perhaps that trial, maybe budgeting is a trial. Maybe finances are a trial for you. Maybe it keeps you on your knees. Maybe the most dangerous thing for you would be to win the lottery. where you wouldn't pray another time in your life. Why would I pray? Let's go to my checking account. We can solve this problem. Let the lowly boast in his exaltation. So if you're coming in on that side of the page, welcome glad you're here, boast in what Christ has done. Boast in the reality that he's not looking to get you in because of your your awesome, but because of your brokenness, because of your humility. He doesn't check bank accounts to let people into the kingdom of God. And I think this text really does have a lot to do with bank accounts, hence the reason why I'm going back to it. There's this practical separation that James takes on in the church throughout his book. And it kind of goes like this. There's one verse to talk about the lowly and then there's two to talk about the rich. And then he just keeps going for all the chapters. It's, it's really hard. Let the lowly boast in the work of the Lord as you look at yourself, as you struggle perhaps even, as maybe that is your trial that's building steadfastness in your life. Boast in that God sustains you. Personal story. I love you people this is recorded we'll tell it anyway there was a time in my life I grew up in a family you know you'd get behind some of the people uh, at the grocery store and you'd be like oh they're using food stamps and you'd say something stupid or witty you know like why do they have the cell phone that they have like oh seems like they're driving a nice car you know judgmentalism extreme and uh, my wife and I um, went through a season where I'm like, okay, if this gets this bad, we're going to have to go and do that. We're going we're gonna to go do that. And we it got that bad. What was interesting is that um, my parents helped with a car, so that looked nice. And my church that I was working for helped me with a cell phone. So I had a really nice cell phone, and I had a nice car. I had two cars. But there was a criteria that I had to meet before I would ever, ever do that to myself. And I met it. And I'm like, okay, we need to do this because we're just going to still spiral downward and so I went to the county and I got my checks and repetitively I would try to figure out how do I go into the grocery store at a time where there's the fewest people in there because the second time I was in there there there's a guy behind me who's like why do you have such a nice cell phone and then you're on this I have to pay for you too and I'm like gosh I've literally said that to someone before Deeply convicting to be on the other side of it. But God was doing work in me, and my story isn't the end all be all. It was humiliating. And then to realize, like, no, I came into this legitimately. I had these things. I don't buy my phone, I didn't even buy my car. These were gifts. And this projection of the person behind you in line, the the looking for, like I'll hide in this aisle until aisle seven is clear, because that worker looks more friendly than the one on aisle three. And hopefully nobody else will get in behind me and see me fumbling with these things. Oh, humbling. But God was at work in my life, growing me. It was a challenge, it was crazy. It didn't seem like a high position, but God had saved me. God was working in me, and God wasn't concerned about Matthew's happiness or comfort. He was concerned about my holiness, and I didn't like it. It was very uncomfortable. But no matter what the guy behind me said, which had happened half a dozen times, some remarks about my phone or, why are we paying for you? I don't know where I was going with that, but it, it, was, it was working in me. Like, my image didn't change because of what I did. God was involved in my life. So let's go to verse 10 and verse 11. Uh, we, we move on. And here's, there's two verses here about the rich, okay? So let's hear this, okay? And the rich, uh, verse 10, So the rich is to boast in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he passes away. Yay. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And, and I want to say to you, I, I, don't, I don't know everybody's story in this room, but I, we're rich. We're, we're rich. Okay, we've got the social constructs, the social systems. Um, I jumped on the system for about a year and a half, and I I, I was was, did okay, you know. Thank God for that, actually, you know. Um, It helped me, okay. We've got savings account. We've got investments. We've got retirement accounts, maybe. We've got Social Security. Like, when you look at the scheme of the whole entire world, you have a roof over your head, and let's be real here. Like some of us have multiple cars. And the goal here isn't like guilt trip. Like oh, I do. I do have multiple cars. Do I sell all my cars? That's not the message here. It's just saying like look at this. Look at these distractions. Look at these wrappers. They're shiny. They crinkle. So, so we're rich. And yet the rich person is called to rejoice. To boast in. Right? To stand on the hill and say look at what I've got. Humiliation, that seems contrary to boasting. But it's part of the warning to us. It's a warning to us, American church. And I'm not going to just talk about the American church. Pretend I didn't say that. Let's talk about a Veritas church that's in Urbana. And the people that are in this room right now. Okay, let's not talk about the church. Let's talk about us. Okay, let's not talk about downtown. Let's not talk about Christians in Iowa. Let's talk about this place. We boast in our humiliation. All that we have, not only your salvation, folks, but all that you have has come from Christ. It wasn't the gifting of your brain. It wasn't your ability to move or have strength that gives you what you get. It's God. It's God that gives you anything that you have. And I'm talking about cars. Like, well, actually, I searched marketplace for three months and I found this car and I bought the car how did you get the money? Well, I worked for the money. How'd you get the job? Well, I, well, you can walk. You've got arms. You can see, most of you. You can hear. Those are all gifts that you did not do for yourself. That desire to work, that's a gift from God, because some don't, and it's a battle for them to get out there and do it. It's a gift from God. And it's interesting here that the rich like hear us. Like if we throw ourselves into this, okay, if we reread that text, to say it says, you know, like let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the church in Veritas and Urbana boast in their humiliation. Like, if we insert ourselves into that text, like he doesn't compare us to like horses, like great steeds of battle. He compares us to the flower of grass. The flower of grass. Like, what's something really normal out here? Pretty usual, not special necessarily. Like, I know this summer, like I haven't mowed in over a month. There's like three weeds. They're like, this tall. Okay. Like, what's something normal and average? Oh, grass. Grasses. It's kind of everywhere. The sheep eat it. The horses eat it. They're all just eating it. Hey, you, rich Urbana Veritas person. You're like a flower of grass. It's here for a moment, and then it's gone. You're here for a moment, and then you're gone. And so it's almost like to us, we need to realize that there's this learning that needs to go with abounding. What does it mean to be wealthy, to have multiple accounts, to have a retirement? Like, what does it mean to have options or an inheritance or something like that, too? And I want to go to Philippians chapter 4 and look at 11 through 13 because Paul is writing his letter to the Philippian church from a prison cell. And and he's a very successful dude. You'll find that a lot of the successful people in the Bible, they die awkwardly and they spend a lot of time in prison. Okay, so it's not hopeful. <laughs> All right? Except in Christ. It's not hopeful on this earth, but it's hopeful in heaven. So Philippians 4 11 says this, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Like, you are in need. You need a good lawyer and you need to get out of the pit. He talks about in Philippians 1 verse 12, like, I'm in chains. So he is shackled. Most likely his legs are shackled and his wrists are shackled. And he's like, not that I'm speaking of being in need. And you're like, are you flipping kidding me? If I have an extra blanket on my recliner, I feel constrained. My freedom is taken from me. And you're in chains. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Investments going down. Stock randomly closing. Business going down. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. We we talk about that a lot, right? We've been talking about trials. We know how to be brought low. Like if I get cancer, I'm going to stand with Jesus. What about if you get wealth? What if you get the job that you love? And I know how to abound. There's this picture here of learning to not only be brought low, but learning to abound. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty plenty and hunger, abundance, a lot of and need. Okay, I have learned the secret of facing plenty. And I, I think for me, and I I learn a lot when life is hard. When I look back at significant spiritual growth moments in my life, it's when things are terrible. And I'm like, Jesus, you're all I have. And he's like, I'm going to lead you out of this because I'm I'm leading you through the valley of the shadow of death right now, and I'm going to lead you beside still waters, and I want you to still hold to that thought. And I'm like, well, look at what I've done. I got out of it. Man, I'm awesome. Woo! I figured it out. All I just had to do this at work, or I had to shift this person from this role to that role, and boom! Life. No, you did nothing. God is at work. God is orchestrating, right? I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And what is it? I can do all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. Not running marathons, not any of that baloney or winning your football game. It's like learning to abound. And to us, like, to this warning for us, like, hey, you're like a flower. Like, be warned. Be warned. Exalt in your humiliation, like, look at what you've given me. Why? Why have you given me cars? Why do I have an air conditioner? And I've got glass? I have a roof over my head? I wasn't born 600 years ago in the Amazon. Are you kidding me? Who am I that I get these things? I can fit my cars in the garage. Not really, but they could. Because it's full of junk. Why do I have so much stuff? God, this is almost too much for me to bear. Who am I that you give me bicycle and another bicycle and maybe a third bicycle? Who do I think I am? And then I want more. I want another bicycle. Wish the steering wheel on my car didn't tick every time I turned it. I could have a better steering wheel. But who am I to have two cars? Are you kidding me? I live in a great street. This is nuts. And I don't have an open floor plan. But man, I got rooms. And I got a furnace. It's going to run this winter. And if it doesn't, I can call. At least three dozen furnace guys, and they'll be out within a couple of hours. Are you kidding me? Who am I? And there's this picture rich people in Urbana at Veritas that this humiliation is like hey, this is who we follow. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8 says this do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. I did this. I did this house. I did this business. And if I didn't take over, he would have sunk by now. Look at what I did. No, you didn't do anything. Perhaps you employed some of the wisdom that God gave you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. You, you who own or lead, do you treat yourself like that lowest employee, the new guy? doesn't know his head from his tail. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, right? Having being fueled by this. It's not that I'm just nice to the poor guy or nice to the new guy for the sake of niceness. There was a great example that led me in this. Which is, uh, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Jesus doesn't walk into the room and say, Savior, cup, chair, let's go. Don't touch my feet. Don't touch my hands. Get away from me, you dirty person. Like, this is our Savior. This is our leader. And some of us, like, I've achieved that level, and I've run into this in the church. I don't, want to deal. I don't want to go back in the kid's wing. Are you kidding me? I served my time. Woe to you. I did my time as a parent. I am not going to go back there ever again. I will not get up at 5.30 a.m. to set up chairs. Do you know who I am? Now, you know not to say that. Because I will talk to you about that. <laughs> I hope out of love, right? We, we don't say that out loud. We're smarter than that. We sure think it. We treat the new guy like we were never new. Can you believe how dumb he is? Can't even do this twice in a row. How did you do on day one? And yet our Savior exemplifies this. He doesn't walk in the room and say, Creator of the universe, listen up. Get me a drink. Get me a chair. I, I've got needs. No, he washes people's feet. He submits himself even to the point of death. And being found in human form, he humbles himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross. He counted himself as nothing. Do you account it yourself as something? Or does your life exist around, I can't, I can't believe God. Why do I have the money in the bank? Why did I get the inheritance? Why do I have this land? What is, what is he doing to me? How do, I, how, do I, how do I take care of this well? How do I use it for the glory of God? Because it is not sinful to be rich, by the way. It is not sinful to be wealthy. If you take care of your money wisely, it, it can help. But you see the person who's brought low exalts in what Christ has done for him. And the person who's brought high is humbled by what Christ has done for him. So we can be a part of the same church because we're both sitting here going like, can you believe God? He's awesome. He sustains. He gives. Can you believe it? Those texts that were read in the first song, right? While I was still an enemy of God, Christ died for me. What? Let the rich boast in their humiliation. I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Is a reminder from another author, Peter. He says, all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord, it remains forever. Try to spare you and then I fail at getting it back on. We boast in the Lord because He has given us the most important thing that we need, and this is where I, my hope and prayer for us as a church it's not the next vehicle. It's not paying for our kids' college that motivates or fuels our identity. It's Christ, and He's, he's given us. God has given us Christ. That's where our hope lies. Are we distracted? If you're lowly, are you distracted by what you don't have? The big house, the extra car, the extra thing. You have Christ. Boast in that. Like, and that's a real mind-bender for us. Like, really, this world, it's not a joke. It's no joke that God saves. He does, He moves in, He loves you, He cares about you. That's no joke. It's enough to satisfy you, even if you're under the bridge. I go to the Dominican Republic, or I've been there a number of times, and I find people there joyful. And I'm like, you got a cell phone, you got a scooter, and your house is like the size of my living room. And they're like, Jesus, Jesus, Matthew. And I'm quickly put to shame, continuously. What are you distracted by? Are you distracted by what you don't have, or are you distracted by what you do have? Vacations, vehicles, businesses, money. You got more options. That's a reality. If you got $100,000, you have more options than 10 That's a reality. Is it taking you away from your Savior? Are you exalting in your humiliation, realizing who I get that from? What is your boast? You know, and I know that Scripture talks about an inheritance for the next generation and the next, but I don't know that that inheritance, and I want to do more study on it, I don't know that that inheritance is money. Spiritually, are you working yourself to death to give them something financially and creating a next generation that's double-minded? I need God and money. I need God and the new baseball bat. I need God and the new soccer uniform. I need God in the new house. Like, how, how are we training the next generation? Are we going to give them an inheritance to go like, hey, go worship money. We'll make you set. Look at how hard mom and dad worked. What, what, what's, what's going on there? Here's our big idea for today. Folks, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, Hope in the giver, not the gifts. Hope in the giver, not the gifts. The standard isn't I have more than you. The standard is Jesus. We have Jesus Christ. He is all satisfying to the person who doesn't have much. And he ought to be all satisfying to the person that has tons. So much so you can continue in worship. You go to his word to find direction. It's a unifying factor for the church. And in James' book, there's this continued tension between rich and poor. And he's like, we got Jesus. We're okay. One of the most dangerous things, I think, in Matthew Morkin's life is if Matthew Morkin were to win the lottery. I don't buy a lot of lottery tickets, okay? I do buy a couple, just so you know. Because of the freedoms that would avail my heart. I like myself. I like my comfort. And I think God has put me, sometimes he and I, we argue, he wins a lot all the time, uh, over how much comfort I should deserve. And a lot of it comes down to stuff. A lot of it comes down like, God, I think you're, 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 you're kind of holding back on me. That's a problem in my heart. And if God, you gave me 15 mil, or a billion, whatever it's at, I mean, I could fix this problem. I wouldn't even need you. Oh, I wouldn't say that. I need God. We all need God, right? But my actions would show probably where my heart is at. Where where are you at? Are you drowning in your stuff, keeping yourself distracted by the world and all the things? Or does it continue to draw you back to Christ? As a church, let's be a church that is continued... Whether we don't have, we have Christ. And He is enough. And whether we do have, we keep coming back to Christ. This isn't about giving. This isn't about generosity. This isn't about it. It's an evaluation of like, does your stuff distract you? Or does it cause you to worship? Or does your lack of stuff distract you into whining and complaining? Or does it cause you to worship? I have a theological guess or truth that God has you just where he wants you. And he's saying, trust me to all of us. What does it look like for us to walk in trust? And this is what I want us to consider doing practically. I want us to consider saying to ourselves, like, let's be thankful, church, for what God has given us. No matter who you are in this room, no matter what your bank account says. Okay? Okay. I wonder what it would look like for us. And I challenge you, every one of you, students, you as well. I would love to see us for the next seven days, seven, okay, write out 100 things a day that you have been given by God. Now, I want to say that because we're like, oh, I got to thank, thanks, God, for my family. Woo! Thanks, God, for my house. That's, those are big, broad categories. Like, look at what you have in your house. Look at what you have in your apartment, like, look at like legitimately look at what you have. How many of you are thankful for an air conditioner these last eight weeks? How many of you are not thankful for the air conditioner in this room? <laughs> All right, well, moving on. All right, but, you know, like, you think about that. Like, you look at what goes into that. Like, look at the glass that keeps it in, and that even protects you from getting sunburned. Are you kidding me? Like, 100 things, 700 things by next week. To sit down and really think about it. Because I'm thankful for my family, Finley, Piper, and Oliver. But each one of them brings things to the table that God has given me. I sure didn't do it. Well, consider that. Consider what God has done. And then consider Jesus, okay? As we're going to take communion now, there's stages around the room, gluten-free is in the back. We have the opportunity to give God thanks for the very thing that unites us all, Jesus Christ. Whether we're rich or whether we're poor. Whether we're a big deal or whether we're not a big deal. Christ died for the ungodly. And it's what we celebrate week after week after week. It's not just our tradition. It's something like, it's important to remember that who I am wasn't because I did anything. But because of what God did, and more important than the stuff I have, it comes back to the fact that I was an enemy of God, happily running the opposite direction. And God said, mine. And he made a way through Jesus Christ. It's the hope of the gospel. So brothers and sisters, church, if you found yourself guilty of not boasting in your, in your exaltation that what God has given or not boasting in your humiliation. Confess your sin. Repent. Give God glory for what he's done in your life and then come and take communion. Don't take communion in your sin. Talk to your maker. Recognize that Jesus Christ has made a way so that you can approach the giver and then come remember the gift. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for your church in Urbana that goes by the name of Veritas. God, I'm grateful for the wealthy. I'm grateful for the poor. God, I pray that our identity would be anchored deeply in our identity that you have given us, saved. That we would be a church that is generous because of your generosity, whether we are rich or poor. God, that we would not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but that we would remember the work of Jesus Christ who washed people's feet. And we'd live it out. Not to get a name on a bench or a name on a building, God, but for the sake of spreading your fame across the state and the nation. God, help us we're thankful for Jesus. While we were still enemies of you, you, you died for us. You're great. Get all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.